Amen. Thank you, Gary, for a beautiful job and choir for a great job. You know, there's some things that are, are true that are odd. Would you agree with that? Now, I've been told this is true. I'm sure every duck hunter here will be trying to pay attention to this this fall, but that when a duck quacks, it does not echo. Josh, you're, you're, you and Bob Patterson have the duty to try to figure that if that's true or not this fall. Did you know it's impossible to lick your elbow? Go ahead and try. Take a minute up here. Come on. Because you're going to be thinking about the rest of your hour. It, they, they say it's impossible. You can lick your neighbor's elbow. I'm talking about your own elbow, which both of them are kind of gross, if you, uh, in my opinion. But, uh, and in Kentucky, it was literally a law of the land at one time that you could not carry ice cream in your back pocket. Now, folks, to me, that's discriminatory. That's prejudiced for us who are calorically challenged and who love ice cream. Who are they to tell us we can't carry ice cream? But have you ever even given that a thought? Hey, let's go get a hot dog and some ice cream. We can put it in our... I mean, what a dumb law. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty nine is an unusual verse. Now, if there's no resurrection, what will those who are baptized for the dead? What about those who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? How many of you have read this verse before? I'm guessing I've read it 80 times. I've never had a clue of what it was saying. I've heard zero, I mean zero, sermons on it through the years. And I believe because 1 Corinthians this year that I've preached through, you owe me hazardous duty pay for what I've had to endure with this book. That's unusual. Would you not agree that is unusual? Would you not agree that is unusual? Yes, it is. It's our memory verse for October, so go ahead and learn it. What, what is this saying, okay? Let me give you the context. Here's the main thesis tonight. Everything rises and falls on the resurrection. Okay? Everything rises and falls on the resurrection. This is the context. In chapter 15, next Sunday night, we're going to look at a cool thing. We're going to look at our resurrected bodies and what that means. And if you're planning on going to heaven, this is a really important, that'll be an important thing for you. That's your future body. Uh, But as we look at this passage tonight, in chapter 15, the resurrection of Christ, whether it happened or didn't happen, is the, the key the key, key thought, okay? Now, first, I want us to look at the negative side, and that's what God did through Paul here. And this is kind of wordy, but it's very important. If Christ and us, if Christ and you, if we will not arise and live on, then let's party. Okay? A preacher, are you saying that? Well, the Bible's going to say that to us in a moment. Folks, in other words, if this is the end of it all, There's no life after death. Then let's party. Okay? In verse 3 and 4 of chapter 15, it says, For what I passed on, I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You notice he said... This was of what importance? 
This is the first importance, the very first thing in importance. Verse 12 through 14. But if it is preached that Christ has, not been, has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In Corinth, apparently somebody, some group had come in and they'd begin to teach one of two things. One, that the resurrection of the dead had already taken place. And by the way, if that's true, (laughs) we're in trouble in here, aren't we? Yes, very much so. And worse than that, they were teaching that the resurrection didn't really happen. That, that, and folks, I want to tell you, you could bend off into some liberal, uh, quote, Christian denominations where they might say this, well, Jesus didn't really walk out of the tomb. It's spiritual. It was figurative. It was symbolic that, you know, he didn't come back to life. Nobody can come back to life. But it's the spirit of it that matters. Have you ever heard that before? If you haven't, you will at some point. That is not an uncommon belief. And, and folks, it's what Paul's addressing. If that is true, if Christ did not really rise from the dead, then everything else, nothing really matters. And, and he addresses a couple of things uh, of importance here. Verse 29, look at this again. If there's no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not ra- raised at all, why are people baptized for them? Now, again, to talk about the weirdness of it, and have any of you ever been to a service where people were baptized for dead people? That, that's good. That, that's very positive, too. We're going to baptize Wayne tonight for, for uh, Jesse James. We're not sure Jesse made it. Uh, we're going to baptize him. Josh is going for Hitler. Better baptize him four or five times because Hitler was really bad, right? That happens in places. It, it really does. What is this talking about here? Now, again, it's easy just to read over this and to, to, to move on to other things, but I think we need to know what it's saying. I think we need to try to understand this because it's in the Bible. There are groups that believe this. What, what is it saying? Well, I really, I really, as I studied this week, here's what I found. There is up to 200 different interpretations of this passage. Did you hear me? 200. That's quite a bit. So we're going to begin with one. By 9.15, we'll be at about 150. Then we'll pick this up tomorrow, the next Sunday night. Is that cool? Yeah, it's cool. Ha, ha, ha. Here's probably, here's, here's some thoughts of what was going on. North of Corinth, there was a community, a city, where there was a cult. And part of this cult's belief is that when, when Wayne joined the cult, he would go out into the sea, and he might do this regularly, and we would call it baptisms. They would call it washings, where he would wash away his sins so he could experience life eternally. And also, they practiced this vicariously, that if you had, uh, you know, oh, uncle so-and-so who, you know, he was a decent guy, but, you know, he didn't ever follow God, you'd go get baptized for him too. And some beliefs, people believe that this had eked into Corinth this vicarious baptism for people who had died. What was happening in Corinth? Well, what what does this mean? It probably means one of several things. One, it, it means that people were being baptized for people who had already died who weren't Christians. 
Penny knows some people who died, and they weren't believers, so we're going to baptize Penny uh, in the name of Jesus and in their name. Therefore, that will secure their salvation. That's one possibility. That may be the best. Here's another one is that, that you knew someone who was saved but was never baptized. So Ryan decides he will be baptized in their place because they never had a chance to be baptized. Here's some of the other ones that... that Let's say Andy Johnson is a saint of First Baptist Ruston, and he is caught up by the, uh, the atheist group in Bernice, and they throw him alive in the arena to rabid possums, and he is, he is killed. And so to honor Andy and to replace Andy's legacy, we baptized Josh Owens uh, in, in Andy's honor. It was a baptism replacement for a, a saintly person. That's kind of odd too, isn't it? Also, they thought maybe that this was baptizing people over the graves of some of the saints. Okay, Andy has died. He's been eaten by the rabid possums in Bernice. And so it, it will be wonderful when we have someone saved. We will go and sprinkle them or pour water over them over Andy's grave. This is another one of the possibilities. Here's what one of the things Paul says. Why are you guys doing anything for dead people if you believe there's no life to come anyway? Why be baptized for the dead people? Why be baptized for someone who was saved but was never baptized if we're not going to live on? You follow me? Why be baptized, and this is a possibility too, why be baptized as symbolic of the death and the resurrection, if there is no resurrection. I believe what they were primarily talking about was that people who were not saved, they were being baptized in their name, hoping and believing that that was going to lead to their salvation. We'll see more in a moment, but the Greek word for that is baloney. But Paul is, here's what Paul's addressing. Paul's saying, why are you doing this if you don't even believe the most fundamental fact of Christianity, that Jesus arose? Because if Jesus didn't arise, it doesn't matter. If you get baptized for yourself or for 84 dead people, it does not matter. Okay? Here, he, next step, he brings it a little more practical for you and me. Look in verse 30 through 32. And as for you, as for us... That's interesting. He talks about them and us. Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers. Just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not rise, let us eat, drink, and tomorrow we will die. You thought that was just some thug who said that. Eat, dress in the Bible, isn't it? What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, guys, I have risked my life. Folks, the, the, the study of the life of Paul from Damascus from the very beginning to Rome in the very end, he was getting punched, wasn't he? Verbally and, and a lot of times physically. Paul said, when I was in Ephesus, I fought wild beasts. This is one of two things. Either he was literally being thrown in the arenas with the rabid possums, like we mentioned earlier, probably wasn't that. But Roman, Paul was a Roman citizen, and a Roman citizen, that probably would not have been allowed to take place. Paul may have been just talking about the extremely difficult people he dealt with in the churches there, and the mean people. He said, fighting some of these Christians is like fighting wild beasts. And here's what Paul's saying. Why in the world 
Would I risk my life? Why in the world would you risk your life? Why are you praying? Why are you giving 10 and 15 and 20% of your income? Why are you coming to church? Why are you sacrificing and serving and witnessing if it doesn't matter? You following him? Some of you nuts are getting baptized for dead people. Why are you doing that if it doesn't matter? Several years ago in England, a man named George Brandt, 62 years old, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. They told him he had a year to live. George quit his job, took all of his money out of the bank, mortgaged his home, and went on a one-year spending spree. Spent everything. He was, to his credit, he was generous. He gave stuff away. He partied. He had fun. He went back to the hospital a year later, and they said, Oops, you had an inflamed pancreas. You didn't have cancer. Now, he, of course, he's suing. He ought to sue himself for stupidity, shouldn't he? But, you know, part of that, you, you understand. I'm not going to be here much longer. Especially if a man's not a Christian. Then you, you party hard. You, you, you live free. You live wild. Philip Yancey's a Christian author. And he tells about being in Africa at a Muslim funeral once. He said it was a horrible custom where at the end of the, 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 the ceremony, the family and close friends gathered around the casket and they put, all put a peppermint in their mouth. And they stood there and they stood there and they stood there and then they eventually left. And he asked them, he said, what, what does this mean? What is this custom? And, and they told Philip, they said, they put the peppermint in their mouth and when it dissolves... They touch the corpse for the last time or touch the coffin and say, as the peppermint has dissolved and is gone, so is the life of this person. No hope. It's over. That's bad, isn't it? See, that's why theology is so important. You can't say, well, we want to study about the Bible and learn how to live and argue about the end of times. You've got to be right on theology. If Christ didn't rise, you're not going to rise. If Christ didn't rise, why are we going through these things? Why, why do you suffer? Why do you push? Your, I hope some of you are suffering and pushing yourself for Christ. Why are you doing it? It doesn't matter at all if Jesus didn't come back to life. But here's the great news. Christ did arise. Verse 3 through 8. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. In other words, go ask them if you don't believe me. Although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, his half-brother who was not a believer, and then to the, all, all the apostles, and Paul says, and last of all, he appeared to me. We don't have time to go into it tonight, but I want to tell you, the resurrection of Christ is one of the best documented events in history. And everything rises and falls on it. How do we know Christ rose from the dead? Well, you say, well, the Bible says it. That's good enough. That's good enough for me, but for those of you who may, it may not be good enough for, the number of people he appeared to, the lives that were changed afterwards, 
Folks, Christianity was just a little group until the resurrection. And then it exploded. Folks, you don't build a great thing on a lie. I mean, the, the, the witness of the resurrection is huge. Jesus Christ did come back to life in verse 20 and 21. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Because Jesus Christ died and arose, if you will give your life to him, you have that same hope that although you will die, that you and I can live again someday. Isn't that wonderful? We don't talk about that enough probably in church. Mostly do it once a year. I love the story of the Bubba who went to church every year at Easter. Obviously, that's not you. You're here tonight in early September on a Sunday night. Year five, he embarrassed his wife terribly. He said to the preacher, he said, Preacher, I I like your preaching, but every year I come, you preach on the same thing, the resurrection. Probably ought to preach on it once a month, shouldn't we? Probably ought to lift it up more than we do. Folks, Christianity is not a faith. It's just for the here and now. It's certainly not just for the hereafter, but it's for both. Folks, our faith and our belief in Jesus Christ doesn't shrink back from death. In fact, Jesus Christ looked death in the face, and he hit it in the mouth, and he knocked it out, and he won. That's our faith. Christ did arise. That's our hope. And that's not hope as in wishful thinking. That's our hope is that we buy into it 110%. Now, let's look back at these verses again and see them from a little different perspective, okay? Baptism for the dead, let me say this, it's useless. It's useless. Let's try to understand why it's in the Bible. Verse 29, why are they being baptized for the dead? They don't even believe in the resurrection. Why are they being baptized for the dead? That's what, the the biggest thing, remember, Paul's hitting on. Why are you guys even doing this if you don't believe Jesus came back to life? That's the number one thing. But, folks, here's what you got to hold on to. Baptism does not save you. I'm going to give you two, three verses, or four verses. I could give you a hundred, but I'm going to give you four. John 3, 15, and 16, you know those. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself, gift of God. And we can go on and on and on, but we don't have time. Look up John 3, 15 and 16, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 when you get home. Folks, you, you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism is important. First act of obedience. It's a public profession. It symbolizes externally what happened internally, but it does not save you. I want to tell you something, too. We can go down to the graveyard, and we can can sprinkle you over a grave of some highly religious Christian person, but you know what? It's really not going to help you at all. You believe me? Josh will take you down there and do it tomorrow night. I'm not going to if you want to, but it's not going to help you. If someone's already died and they were saved and they were not baptized, folks, they're in heaven. Why didn't they get baptized? Maybe they got saved on their deathbed. Maybe for whatever reason they got saved and they made a decision to not follow through with that. That's not good, but you're saved by faith in Christ. 
Not faith plus anything. I don't have to be baptized for the thief on the cross who was never baptized. He's in heaven with Jesus. It's not going to do any good. And what I believe this is primarily talking about is it's talking about being baptized for lost people who've already died. I wish with all my heart that was true, don't you? Because we could, we could, we could pull a lot of people out of hell tonight if that was true. Now, please hear me on this because I am no expert on Mormonism. And depending on how the election goes in November, we may need to be better informed on it. Mormons have practiced this, may still do that. Are you aware of this? A friend of mine who pastored in Arizona about 20 years ago said, and their little community on, on probably once a month, the youth group would come up to the church on Saturdays, and they would hold a baptismal service. Sam might get baptized 10 times. They would have a list of people who died in the state and the community around the world. Sam would get baptized for Jesse James and... and uh, Josh already got baptized for Hitler, so he's taken care of. And they, they might baptize each youth 10 or 15 times. At the end of the year, they would report they'd baptized over 1,000 people. Friend, if we're baptizing you 10 or 12 times, a couple of times a year, we're going to baptize 1,000 too. I don't know that that's a Mormon doctrine, so don't quote me, but that was a practice in that church. Baptist beliefs are not perfect. But getting baptized for the dead, that's a misunderstanding of this passage. You notice the words and the language Paul's used. It's almost like he is saying, this is something you guys are doing. Which, by the way, since you don't even believe in the resurrection, this is pretty stupid. You don't believe they're going to live anyway. Why are you getting baptized for them? He doesn't endorse it. He doesn't say, we're doing it. He says, you guys are doing it. It's never mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. So I believe what this is saying here, very importantly, is this is saying this is something some people were doing. It was an odd and off practice that had no value whatsoever. In fact, it's probably very dangerous when you think about that people can actually believe I can live as I want as long as Kelly Crittenden will get baptized for me after my funeral. Four days in hell, hopefully Kelly remembers and I'm okay. Just not the case, okay? What's baptism for the dead? It was a silly and wrong practice that had no value. But here's something that is really, 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 really important. Your painful efforts for Christ matter. Your, your great sacrifices and efforts for Christ matter. Now, some of you may be going, well, what do you mean? <laughs> then you decide tonight to start stepping it up for Christ. Because if you're living for Christ as you should, you're shedding some sweat and blood. Maybe not literally, but you are in your heart. In verse 30 through 32, Paul says again, And for us, remember the baptism for the dead was for them, for us. Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I have fought wild beasts in Ephesus. If this was merely for human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not rise, let us eat, drink, and for tomorrow we die. But he was saying, folks, it does matter. The dead will be raised. It does matter. I want to tell you, 
Being a preacher is not always easy. I know we only work one day a week, but it's a tough Sunday. I'm going to be really honest with you. If Christ didn't come back, I'm going to go do something else. This is just too hard. And, And why, and I hope I can say this about many of you, why are you praying so much? Why are you witnessing? Why are you giving your money? If it doesn't matter, but I'm going to tell you, it does matter. It does matter. I have friends that that have a theological belief and predestination that I don't buy into at all, that basically God chose who was going to heaven and God chose who was going to hell. And I ask them over and over, why did God spend all this energy telling us to witness if it doesn't matter? They'll say, it's just obedience, just obedience. Friend, God never calls you to do anything that doesn't matter. Why did Paul and Jesus weep over people if they knew it didn't matter? Why did Paul look at Jerusalem and say, I belong to gather you to me, but you wouldn't let me? Why did he look at Jerusalem and weep if he knew it didn't matter? Friend, it does matter. And that encourages us, I hope. It encourages you to keep praying and to keep giving and to keep sacrificing And to keep letting people take cheap shots at you because God is keeping score. And someday we're going to be judged for where we've let up and done wrong. And someday we're going to be rewarded for the good works that we've hung in there and we've kept doing. I need to hear that and so do you. Paul said, I'm getting kicked. Most scholars believe that it wasn't wild beasts. It was mean people, mean religious people. He was comparing him to wild beasts. But Paul said, I'm not going to quit because Christ is alive and it matters. Friend, it matters, it matters, it matters. Isn't that good news? Here's the last thing he says. Watch who you hang around. What an unusual thing to throw in to this part of Scripture. But it fits the context. Verse 33 and 34, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, it's interesting. That is a quote. That is a quote from a Greek playwright and poet that Paul's quoting from. And from a a work called Thighs. Probably 200, 300 years before Jesus Christ, Paul was a very cultured man. Not only theologically, but he understood the poets and the, the, the dramas. Come back to your senses and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your your shame. Here's what was happening in Corinth. These Corinthians were hanging around people who didn't believe in the resurrection. They'd go to a Bible study, and in that Bible study, somebody would be whispering, you know, the resurrection probably didn't really happen. You know that teacher over there at so-and-so, he says it's, symbolic, not literal. And by the folks they were hanging around, it was ruining their theological belief. I don't know this evening if any of us are being ruined theologically by other people, but we're affected by them. Verse 34, come to your senses. It literally means sober up. None of you have ever been drunk, so let me explain this to you. When you're drunk, you are not in a good state of mind. 
To sober up means that you have your head about you again. Here's what he's saying to them and to us. Get your head back straight. The wrong people will ruin you. They will infect you like a virus. Who are the wrong people? You're going to be shocked. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 12, pay attention to this. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of the world. Now follow this closely. Who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters? In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is immoral, greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunker, a swindler. For such a man do not even eat with. What business is it of mine or yours to judge those outside of the church? But are you not to judge those inside of the church? Guys, let me tell you, young people, you need to really hear this. Here's, here's how Jesus built his life. He had a super relationship with the Father. To use our terms, he had a great quiet time. He prayed. He read his Bible. He was always in church. He, his closest friends were devout Christians. But then Jesus could branch out, and he hung around with the wild people. And they hung around him. He was called a friend of sinners and drunks. You remember that? So we don't like that. But that's the truth. And here's what this passage says. Once you get established, the people who are going to mess you up the most aren't the drunks and the the prostitutes. It's the people who say they're Christians who are jerks. They're the ones that are going to get in your head and get in your ear. They're going to make you critical. They're going to make you cynical. They're going to make you a fault finder. They're going to make you looking at everything with judgmental eyes. And I I want to tell you, I went to a Christian college. Then I went to graduate school at preacher's places. And I can tell you, some of the creepiest people are people who don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with the girls who do, but are judgmental and hateful and spiteful. Those are the exact people that made Jesus sick 2,000 years ago. They're the same ones that will mess you up today. Watch who you hang around with. Do, do the people that you're around make you more positive or more negative, more joyful, more unhappy, more critical, more encouraging? They make you love your church more or make you more cynical of it. They make you love your coaches and your parents more or they make you more cynical of it. Pay attention to who's got your ear because bad company corrupts good character. And the danger for most in this room tonight is not the drug dealer. It's the person who is holier than thou who's got a heart problem. Bring it all back together. Christ is alive. Don't let the wrong people get in your life. Especially don't let them get in your life and confuse you about that. Christ is alive. Don't worry about getting baptized for dead people. They're where they are forever. But you keep plugging away. You keep hammering away because it really does matter. This evening, we give our invitation in just a moment. If you're not a Christian, you come and give your life to Christ tonight. If you're here, you want to join this church, one way you can do that is coming in just a moment.
We'll be down here waiting on you. We'd love for you to join if God's leading you to do that. Christian, where you're standing or maybe at the altar tonight, maybe you need to make a decision with Christ, a decision to, to press forward, a decision to not let the wrong people get in your head, a decision to be the right kind of person. Let's stand in whatever it is God leads you to do. Respond to Him this evening.